Good morning. Welcome to Network Outdoors, the podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Molson. And today I am in Maryland with two very special guests, one returning uh, business partner out here of uh, the networks, Mike Buckman. He's been on the podcast a few times. And then we also have a, a new member, new special guest, uh, Luke Long. And he's coming to us from Pennsylvania. Luke, Mike, welcome to the pod. Hello there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we had... Uh, we had a nice meetup last night and, um, and we, we got into a, a number of conversations and then just it made it complete sense to, and very appropriate to have a podcast. We just, we, we, every conversation we have seems like a podcast. So let's pull the equipment out and start recording. So we figured we'd do that today. Learned a lot about, uh, you all know, Mike, um, shed hunting, big deer hunter, um, Lucas is, is going to be on the podcast talking about some, some shed stuff that, uh, they've, they've been crushing it this year. Uh, Luke, big Luke, who's on the podcast today, came down from PA to do some shed hunting, go to the event last night. And, uh, after a, a, just a short conversation realized he knows a lot about predator hunting. So today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to, we're going to continue our trapping series, picking Mike's brain here and, uh, and then also get into some predator hunting with Luke. Is that all right? Sounds good. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of it goes hand in hand. One thing that, um, it, with trapping, there's, there's a lot of seasons around it, water, land, uh, but with, uh, coyotes, it's almost, almost every state kind of just wants you to shoot them year round. Um, and you started pulling out equipment, Luke, that, uh, you have thermal stuff. Well, how about this? What, uh, what got you into, uh, the whole predator? I mean, you, you take predator hunting to a whole nother level, multi setups, cats, Malta States, uh, how'd you get into it? Always been into the outdoors, loved hunting. Uh, just, it's a way to extend the season. It's a way to help out the other critters that I want to hunt. And I got into it. Um, was exposed to some people came to me and wanted to help with starting up a light company. And so we actually developed a predator hunting light, uh, sold it around the world, did that for about six years, got a lot of exposure, got to hunt with a lot of really good people out there, learned a lot from them. And it was just, for me, it was one big classroom and I just soaked up as much information as I could. And when I cashed out of that and went into my current field, it gave me my entire hunting season was free. So <laughs> I just started traveling around the country and doing a lot of hunting. Man. And so you're, um, you live you live about an hour and a half away from here in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Southeastern PA. And yeah. where do you, where do you typically like to hunt? Well, it depends on what species. Um, I love killing bobcats. I really, really like killing bobcats and probably the number one and number two places is Maine and Texas. Uh, Texas is just, it's Texas. It's yeah. fun. There's a lot of shot opportunity. There's great people down there. Uh, Maine, you just get big cats. You know, my, my goal is to, I've got close to 40 pounds, but I know I've been after 40 plus pound cats. And when both states are unlimited cats, uh, now Maine is daytime only. Texas is all night, you know, 24 hours, but both states are a blast to hunt. Wow. And so when you're doing daytime, are they, they're, they're not typically nocturnal, are they? Are they hunting during the day? Or is that a totally different skill set set up that you're, you're luring them in on their off 
Cats would be considered more nocturnal. Are they? Yeah, they're more active, you know, sundown, sunset, you know, sunrise, all night long. Yeah, they're definitely easier to hunt. Their eyesight's phenomenal. Um, so when you are hunting, I mean, they're definitely callable. I do calling mostly. I never hound hunted or anything like that. But when you call them in, they're looking, you know, and they you get picked off a lot, mm. you know, for sure in daytime sets. How would you compare their eyes to a turkey? Oof. Just That's as a good. Great question. Just as good. Just really? as good. Yeah. Just a lot good. of people, I think, can compare to a turkey because I know I've been busted by turkeys more times than I care to count. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, a bobcat is basically a wild house cat. You know, attitude wise, mentality wise, they're always you know on the seem like they're walking on their tiptoes. They're very nervous. They're always looking around for what's wrong with this scenario, this setup. <laughs> and the ones that are older and smarter, you know, they'll hang back a lot of times and just scan the area and wait for you to scratch your nose or do something wrong or turn your head wrong and you're gone. And sometimes you see them there and sometimes you don't. Yeah. They sit and survey a situation for, for quite a bit. Yeah. What's the, what's the terrain that you're, you're looking for up in Maine or in Texas for, uh, for Bobcat? Uh, like when you get to the area, you're like, thick, Man, this is, this is thicket, thicket water. You know, up in Maine, you know, the cutovers, the pecker poles, the swamps, the waterways, is where you know typically find most of the, most of them down in Texas. Depending on Texas has every train feature there is, you know, within its right. state. Um, but they're everywhere. Yeah, you know, there's no rhyme or reason where you find a cat in Texas. It's you know, so like a coyote, a, a big open field. You'll do some sort of setup. Are you doing the same with cats, or is it more in a, a wooded area? No, you can do the same setup. It's yeah. just for me that my sounds are different depending on which one I'm hunting in which state and appropriately the density of the animals, you know, and a lot of people have issues with this, but people always say, you know, east of the Mississippi, it's harder to hunt coyotes. And I don't think that it's harder. I just think the densities are different. I mean, anytime you go out West and that's why I don't hunt coyotes much in PA, we just don't have as many as they do. And I've been to where there's just infested with coyotes and they're easier to call. Yeah. Anything there's more of, it's easier to do. Yeah. Fish in a barrel. <laughs> you know, you can go to South Dakota and go to Texas, and you can have days where you call in, you know, 10, 20 plus coyotes. You cannot do that in PA. You can do that in a day. season, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and there's people that are good, and there's pockets of higher densities, and they're definitely there to hunt, and there's getting to be more of them. But, you know, when you when you go out west where they actually are in, infested with coyotes, you know, it's just a whole new ball game. It gets frankly easier <laughs> when you're when you're going out and, and mike when you're <clears throat> when you're trapping is it um so i haven't caught a coyote yet i, I really want to but i i haven't gotten one on a trap set what he's describing terrain wise are, are you looking for the same thing when you're when you're doing trap sets yeah again depending on target i don't focus on coyotes out here we don't have enough of them not at least where i am here trapping wise to really target them but for foxes, yeah, you're looking for those field lines, the fence edges, things like that. But as far as terrain goes, they live in anything, and they have to now. I mean, with where more buildings being built, it, they live everywhere and anywhere. There's a piece or patch of woods. It seems like. Well, yeah, we were we were uh, as soon as the the well, three of us and Mike's son went uh, shed hunting yesterday. First thing we saw was a big giant fox giant fox yeah PA, one of the biggest reds i think i've ever seen yeah pennsylvania delaware maryland is definitely the the ep, epicenter of the red fox yeah. and you i have people come up and hunt from texas 
that seeing a red fox in, tex- in Texas is like seeing a unicorn. They just don't have them. They come up to us and we'll see 20 plus in a night. And it's just, Unbelievable. it's hard to take the smiles off their face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you were saying something last night that made uh, made a lot of sense. Why don't they see red fox? The, they can't climb trees and they have such high coyote densities that the coyotes are territorial and they'll purposely run around and kill the red fox where the gray fox can climb trees so they can escape them and you know survive better in those scenarios. Yeah. You, you, you hit something yesterday. You were saying you were trapping. You hadn't trapped a coyote yet, but you used red fox churn and all of a sudden now you got coyotes. <laughs> Every single time. Yeah, Every they time are, I go they, to fresh up the site. Hate them. Yeah. They show up on camera and they, they – pee on it yeah. in some capacity. Yeah. That's mine, not yours. Yeah. <laughs> in, in my area around the local farms, you know, a lot of times I'll have more red fox photos than deer. Wow. That's wild. So you're hunting bobcat, coyote, fox. What else do you get into? Oh, I love whitetail hunting. Yeah. Love, you know, I have leases. I have a lease down in Maryland. Uh, have a large lease down in Tennessee family down there so it's fun to take a trip down there and learn i love the challenge of learning new territory uh picking a mountain apart you know zeroing in on that big deer and that's why i sort of like shed hunting too because that tells you where he was standing where he lives and it really gives you once you get to be a successful you know shed hunter like mike um it really gives you the insight of where that buck lives and that's where you have to be to kill him come deer season 100 percent that's that was a, that was a lot of fun, and right after this, we're gonna go get some more sheds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> miles for piles, blood. So yeah. setup wise, you started a, a light company, and um, it was specifically for hunting for predator hunting, for predator yeah. hunting. Yep, and that got you exposed to different pro staff, different. Yeah, we gathered a you know decent sized pro staff around the country, uh, a lot in Texas, you know, and. I treated them. I, my goal was to make them friends, you know, they're friends to this day. So I have a lot of places I can hunt and friends I can go visit, you know, around the country. Sort of what I do. So for the people that are listening to this, that are, that are interested in it, but maybe not have, haven't had the chance to actually do it or they, they've gotten into it. Um, but they, they want to bring their game up. Talk to us a little about your setup. How do you go about, um, what, what equipment we'll start there. Well, I guess it all depends on budget. You know, it's a lot of times. Always depends on budget. And and I am a gadget freak. Yeah. I love gadgets. You know, there's, you know, you have basically, you know, people started, they hunted in moonlight, then they switched over to lights, you know, then they went to night vision and now there's thermal out there. And, you know, frankly, thermal is a game changer. Nothing can hide from you with thermal. And it can make an average coyote hunter a, a, a rock star. You know, with thermal because it's just that effective, you know, with, because coyotes are very smart animals. Oh yeah. Um, so the, the big thing is good woodsmanship will always go a long way. You know, never let them see or hear you or smell you come in or leave. As soon as he knows you're there, you're done typically in typical stand, unless they're starving. Um, but typically, you know, you want to be a ghost out there and that's where thermal really comes into play because you're not shining lights or anything out around the field that can tip them off. Um, so how are you, how are you, are you brushing yourself in or using a certain, uh, are you out in the, just the elements using, uh, I'm wearing street clothes, 
you know, standing behind a tripod out in the middle of the field. And sometimes, you know, when the guys come in from Texas, you know, the fox hunt, you know, there's three or four of us standing out in the middle of the field. The whole concept between, you know, having a light company and using the lights, you're using your light as camouflage. You're blinding the animal coming in so where they absolutely can't see you. Um, and an over-exaggeration of that is when uh, the TV show Night Crew, uh, Chris Robinson, Ronnie O'Neill, um, and Gary, they came in to film a Red Fox show up in PA. And Chris's light rig is unlike no other. That's crazy. It's unlike no other. I mean, he, he can really, he can light up a football stadium. With no the kidding. light that he puts out for filming. Try to describe this for a second. <laughs> um, when... When you're walking back with the kill or, you know, doing the success hero film clip, you know, I would have an arm reach through the light to stop me because you had no concept of whether you were three feet away from the light or 30 yards away from the light. His light was that bright. And on a scaled down version, that's what lights do. You know, the whole concept with hunting coyotes or fox, you're blinding them. They have no idea what's there. You're standing behind the beam of light. You're completely camouflaged. And huh. you're just basically using the sound and wind to draw them in. And so you're you're literally in the middle of a field. Yes. At nighttime. Yes. And you have what kind of decoy or sound system or what what's the attractant? Uh, Is it I scent? Use, no, I, some people use scent to help create the illusion that something's going on out there. Um, a lot of times they'll use rabbit or red fox. I know some people that have been successful with that. But, you know, I use Fox Pro Game Calls. You know, they're a Pennsylvania-based company. They make fantastic calls. There's a lot of other good calls out there. Um, a big thing has been a big industry that popped up is the sound industry. Um, MFK, Made for Killing, you know, Tory Cook out of Arkansas. He They do all vocals almost, you know, from diaphragm through the mouth. He's a world champion predator caller. They make fantastic fantastic predator sounds and it's sort of a game of the people with the most sounds the newest sounds the ones the coyotes never heard they, they wise up they get call shy for sure yeah and it can be using something odd you know people is like monkey in distress guinea pig in distress <laughs> something that just you're you're also it depends on the time of year and what trigger you want to tip off with the coyotes you know during a dead of winter it's food you know then you're in highly density uh Density areas, you have uh, uh, population boundaries. Then you have the breeding season, you know, with the mating calls, and that brings in even more territorial calls. Then you have denning season, you know, with the pups, and the territories really become um, a way to trick or lure a coyote, you know, out of his area to defend his den Mm. sort of thing. So it just depends where you're at, what season you're at, and what everybody else is using. That's that's real interesting. And so that's a nighttime setup. You're using lights and some sort of call. Are you, is it not, once you get in the field, are you nonstop playing it or? Well, for Fox, I'm using lights still. I still like watching the Red Fox bound in with their eyes shining and everything. For coyotes, I'm purely thermal. Oh, okay. You know, I use iRay. Um, they're just fantastic thermal. And like I said, nothing can hide from you. And it's, it is absolutely deadly. So you're going out there too, and you're you're focused on one type of predator. I generally do, yeah, yeah, but that's just my personality. <laughs> I yeah. get focused on something. And you're calling, and your whole setup is specifically for fox, or specifically for cat, or specifically for coyote. Yes, sometimes completely it, you'll different get a mix calling in. sequences for me. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Um, a coyote, you depending on the season, time of you know time of year, and everything. 
is a lot of vocals, you know, depending if there's high densities, sometimes you can use a lot of distress. First one there gets to eat um, a red fox. I would describe as a very dumbed down coyote, but much more, you know, basically on crack, you know, much more jittery, much more nervous because something else out there can eat it. So they'll come in, you know, much more unsure, but it's always about playing the wind, you know, setting them up to the wind. Most of the time, all animals will want to come in and smell what's going on before they see what's going on. You know, and for Bobcat, uh, it's just, for me, it's starting out quiet for the first couple of minutes, but after that it's loud and fast, fluttery birds, high pitch, you know, they have a very short attention span. So for my style of calling, you know, as soon as you stop, they get distracted, they walk away. So I personally like to keep things going. Now there's quite a, there's a lot of people say, no, you have to pause and which is successful. You can do it, but that's not what I do. So when you get in a spot and you set up for Bobcat and you're just going to be calling, how long are you calling for before you're like, okay, this doesn't work? Five, five and five, five minutes of a fluttery bird, five minutes, baby cottontail, five minutes of adult cottontail. And I killed, I probably killed. Of a doll cottontail? Adult. Adult. Excuse oh, me. Gotcha. Adult. Yeah. Um, specifically, I like DSG on the Foxborough sounds. I probably killed 90% of my cats on DSG cottontail alone. It just works. DSG. DSG. That's the name of the sound file. Just doesn't have, that stands for something, doesn't it? It Something. Yeah. The guys at Foxborough know what it is, but. That's, what it is. That's the label, you know, but you know, they the cats like fluttery birds, fast, repetitive, you know, something that keeps their attraction. What about the visual component of your setup for cats? Uh, daytime, nighttime doesn't matter. You don't need any visual, uh, daytime. I personally like to run two. I call whirly birds. Um, I find that if you run one, they come in, they're always looking around to see what else is going on. When I started running two, they just look back and forth between the two and very rarely look away from that. So I found I could a call more in, hold their attention longer and get busted less when I run two, whatever type of whirly birds or little spinners. Oh, Mike, how's that compare to uh, a trap set playing wind and, and what you're using for, um, for baits and lures? As far as the wind goes, as long as you're not leaving a scent trail behind you, it ain't going to matter because you're not going to be there when it happens. You know, having your traps, you know, you don't want your traps reeking of any human odor too. Don't throw them around the back of the car and leave them there. But as far as setting the wind going in and out, I don't, that's not something I worry about for foxes, maybe for coyotes. If you're getting in, you want to come in on a downwind side to set. But most cases, wind ain't an issue with trapping. But the, the lure and the scent, it's going to be specific to what you're trying to trap for sure. I'm not going to use the same thing, you know, for coons as I am for fox, and then same thing with coyotes for fox. Now, thinking of that, we we walked through a, a few fields yesterday, but that last field, there were there was probably one of the biggest coyote dens I've I've ever seen. The hole was yeah. usually they're like trying to squeeze their bodies in, and it's a it's a decently smaller hole. That thing was like. I feel like I could have walked into that thing. It, yeah, I could have crawled in the hole. It was literally. huge. Yeah. I, I wonder if I, I really do wonder if like a like a truck, like the the tractor tire or something got stuck in there, and it just I have no Made idea. It, it was huge though, and it was yeah. like a like a tunnel. But um, that's actually a place we should go with the thermal and just see what we can call out in that field. They so would be across that field, exactly. Like so thinking of that field with, and then we also saw a number of different ones, <sighs> and that was also the first place we saw a huge <laughs> fox. So yeah. what um massive fox like how how would you set up let's talk about 
trapping that field first. And then we'll, we'll talk about predator hunting. Cause now I might be staying another night and we're, we might be <laughs> <laughs> the, the trapping for, for that scenario, that yeah. setup. Um, it's just because I was shed hunting and I walked all the other woods. There is super distinct trails in the wood line where the fox and the coyotes are running. And in Delaware, you can compare to where deer and, and yeah, larger game. Yeah, not it's not not definitely not deer. It's the coyotes and the foxes. And you do the signs there, the scat for the for the for the coyotes and the foxes. There ain't gonna be a whole lot of them. That big one's probably there because he is the size that he is. <laughs> I, you don't see many. I don't see many foxes over there. But now walking and seeing all the coyote sign, I know why. But there's if Delaware, if I can use snares, I would much rather use a snare than a foothold. Oh, really? I can catch because of the the trail sign that you yeah, saw. Yeah, it's just. I'm way more. I can put out, you know, sixty snares in a in a in a in a day, no problem, and run and check them easy. But to do ten foot traps, it would take me just as long. Yeah, I was so gonna say the 60, time is, is, is and sixty snares weighs nothing, a couple pounds yeah. at yeah. the most. Where and they're, they're traps, you're super thirty pounds worth of metal. Yeah, okay. but I'm I'm and, and I'm sure there's others out there that would probably that that are way better than I with footholds and setting up traps for coyotes but i i'm it's much easier with a snare so i'll snare them and if i can do it i will maryland you can't snare them so my fox sets are footholds but i would much rather snare if i could but you all did also notice the developments that are right there anytime yeah. you have a combination of two those fox will gravitate into those developments and as close as possible because the coyotes tend to stay away from them a little bit more uh. yeah. So in you go to texas and the towns you'll if you're going to see a red fox generally it'll be in town like on concrete in town. In, in the brushy draws yeah. and all that stuff, the woodlots, because the coyotes don't want to go there. You know, they tend to get shot at. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've heard of uh, coyote drives. People people will just get either a bunch of dogs or a bunch of people, and they're, or both, and they're driving them to a specific area. Do you, do, do you ever do stuff like that with, uh, with cats or? Uh, no. No, nope. I've never done anything like that with cats. No, I've never done any dog hunting. I'm not against it. Um, I think hound hunting is an art form. You know, I respect it. Um, they're, they're, the industry is having a lot of problems with land ownership issues and boundary lines, um, which is, is, is frankly sad. Um, yeah. But they're going to have to figure something out. But no, I've never done any dog work whatsoever. I'd like to go after, use dogs. There's some people up in Maine that are, have fantastic reputations, and you can get big, big cats. And the neat thing is, like mountain, mini, you know, poor man's mountain lion hunting. You know, you get to you know get on the track, run them down, watch them up in the tree. You know, you know, shoot them. So it'd be fun to do. You've been mountain lion hunting, haven't you? I've uh, been calling, never officially with a guide or an outfitter, but I I have gone out. You know, down in Arizona. Um, along the border, I have called and I have called them in. Wow. Yeah, never killed one. Daylight but, stuff too, right? Yep. Daylight, all daylight. Yeah. Now what's, is, is it a different setup than what you just described to, to call in a mountain lion? Uh, you're not worried about getting eaten as much with Bobcat as you are. <laughs> <laughs> you tend to watch your back more <laughs> and put the call a little further away. <laughs> and a slightly larger caliber gun. Yes. <laughs> But no, uh, basically, it's a cat is a cat is a cat. Now, with the, you can also get into vocals with cats, you know, and uh, and I've called in a lot just using male sounds, breeding sounds, territorial sounds, or not. I wouldn't say territorial sounds with cats, but aggressive sounds with cats. And mountain lion are the same way; they have their own, you know, speech patterns, you know, voices, sounds that they do. 
and you can be very, I know somebody, um, I want to say it's Idaho. He, he, Rick Bowen, he is very successful in calling in mountain line with, with vocals. Wow. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Very fun, cool. Fun videos to watch too. Yeah. A lot of fun to watch them come in and, you know, they'll just come in and stare at the call, you know, be curious, curious as a cat, <laughs> you know, just a lot bigger. Yeah. So question when you, you choose, you find an area and, and you think you see good sign or you, you feel like it's a good, good train for what you're going after that night or day, <clears throat> how long, and once you get set up, and, and hidden, how long do you stay there until you're, you're thinking I need to, I need to make a move and do you move? That really varies in Pennsylvania. I've already sat two and a half hours in one stand because a, it was about two miles back in, in a foot of snow. And I knew the area had that much potential to call cats in. And I actually called two in on that set and they were both giants. Um, but the more I hunted with around the different states and with the different people, especially when you get into tournament hunting or you have that much land, that's quality. You know, people in Texas, they tend to get bored after 15 minutes. We're getting close to 15 minutes. If, if something didn't run right in on you and generally, if you can get close enough and the animals are there, they will come in. In, in 15 minutes. Oh, sometimes in 30 seconds, wow. depending on how close um, the video I showed you, the small cat on the berm yeah. coming in. I probably had the car run in about 15, 20 seconds before it ran out from the woods into the pile, you know, because it was right there. Um, my usual cat sets are about 15 minutes now. Now, when you're walking into a, uh, an area, are they aware that you're walking the area to get set up? You hope not. <laughs> I mean, but I'm just thinking like you try not to that reaction time. They have to be very close to you. Yeah. Wow. But it's just the conditions of, you know, up in Maine with the crunchy snow and whatnot, you know, you, it's not a good condition if it's light, fluffy snow and you can really sneak around, you know, you set up, you never want them to let, you know, to know you're there. Are um, you like spraying your boots and doing all like everything no. you would be for deer hunting? No, I do not. Or handling the, the stuff with different gloves nope. or no, you can, you can bare no hand it. control measures whatsoever. If there's nothing you can do, um, cats aren't really worried about scent at all. Um, they can smell. There are some videos that Chris Robinson has done where they do pay attention. You know, they do throw their nose up in the air. They are smelling around, but it's not like they always constantly try to work downwind on purpose. Mm. You know, they'll smell as they're going in and they can, you don't want them to cross your footpath coming in. They will key off that completely different than a canine, but, and you will never fool a canine's nose. And (laughs) the best example I use, you know, they're out there to survive. And you can take a domestic dog and train him to smell cocaine or marijuana that's buried in diesel fuel tanks, and they will smell that. You are not hiding from that animal. So if they get a whiff of you, typically they're gone. And there's scenarios where you know they, you know, you hear stories. You're watching different guys out there hunting where yeah, this dog came in from downwind. A lot of times, either you just put him so out of his mind that he doesn't carry through everything else aside, or he's sick you know, has mange or something like that. And probably the best example of, you know, throwing all the senses, the normal rules of coyote hunting aside is the guys who use decoy dogs, you know, in the summertime when the coyotes are so hyped up on territory and the guys will go out with domestic dogs and they're trained to go out there. First, you have to call the coyote into within visual. Then you send your dogs out there to challenge the coyotes and they're trained to lure them back. 
And there's a lot of guys that do it. Uh, Kelly Jackson is a legend in, in Texas. Uh, I've seen a lot of his videos where it's two old men. Sorry, Kelly. Sitting in lawn chairs, <laughs> street clothes, you know, beach chairs in the field with shotguns across. And their domestic dogs are practically by their feet. And the coyotes are a little bit further away from you, just barking and yipping and growling and snarling. And they will call, you know, they'll get bored, go away. They'll send their dogs out after them, bring them, pull them right on back. They'll do that for 15 minutes until wow. they finally decide to shoot the dogs. And it just completely 180 degrees to what you think you should be doing. But that's because if you can hit those animals triggers, that's what really gives you power to pull those animals in and makes you a better caller. What, what other different ways are there to, to, so there's the daytime nighttime using domestic dogs. What are some other tactics that people are using? Well, like you said, there's some guys that do the drives, you know, in Wisconsin, you know, Coyote drives are very popular, you know, and you're from Michigan. So, the, you know, UP, that seems to be very uh, characteristic of that part of the state. But I would, you know, other than chasing them down with hounds, that's probably about it. You know, um, baiting. Baiting is very popular. Um, whether you put out in, up in up in Maine, guys will sit in on their little shacks. They'll have uh, driveway sensors on the bait piles. They'll freeze meat in piles, you know, and they'll just sit in their little shacks and wait for the coyotes to come in. You know, what kind of meat? Anything, you know. Um, they tend not to like things that some people say, like if you use domestic hogs or anything like that, that have been injected. They can tell, they oh, can wow. sense if there's chemicals inside the meat, but beaver carcasses, scraps, yeah, dog food. Most of the guys that I know that, that do the baiting for it, they take whatever they have left over if they're trapping or a deer carcass or yeah. whatever, something that they can pull apart and leave around, drag around out there and mess around with, keep them out there entertained. I was talking to a guy that owns a, a trapping supply company in Michigan and <clears throat> river rat trapping or yeah, river rat trapping supply. I'll give him a little plug. And uh, he was saying that you, one of the ways that they predator control their properties. So he traps, but also he'll take uh, like three posts hit and bang them in the ground, put fence around it. And then all the deer carcasses are thrown in there throughout the year. It just piles up and he, and he does, he has three of those setups on a field and it just constantly draw them in. Just constantly just draw them, them in. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we go down pig hunting in Texas, shoot a pig, you come back the next night, half the pig is gone. You know, and it doesn't take much. You know, you usually will drill a drive-by, scan with thermal, see a couple of coyotes on it, sneak within 60 yards and shoot them. That's where wow. the thermal comes into play, being a monstrous advantage, because you can set up downwind, get right where you need to get, never turn a light on. They feel good in the dark. As long as you're semi-quiet and downwind, they're toast. <laughs> so Mike, you told me he had a good setup. Have you gone out with him yet? No. Yeah, we, um, we got it. That's going to change, like... Probably this weekend. <laughs> we were just talking about that other coyote spot in Delaware where there's like, we can set up on that hill, dude. Yeah. Rack them. Oh my gosh. That's going to happen. <laughs> that sounds like a blast. Well, what, um, to, to wrap it up, what about what caliber of gun are you using? What's the, what's the platform? What do you prefer? What do you not, what have you used in the past that you don't like? Um, I've, I like lighter, the better, especially if I'm on foot a lot, traveling a lot, hiking a lot. Um, I like the fur. You know, if somebody's hunting contest and they're not worried about fur, 
you know, bigger, the better. You know, there's all sorts of calibers out there. You know, 243, 22, 250, you know, a lot, a lot of animals died with the 223, but there's a whole lot of other calibers out there that, you know, 22 Nosler, you know, all the six, five, you know, six, uh, five become a much more popular one too. Yeah. The six, the six, uh, there's six PRC. There's a whole bunch of alphabet calibers out there <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not versed on. Um, so, you know, for cat, I went through six, five Grendel blew a few up. 223 even had the wrong bullets, blew some up. Um, the last bunch of cats, I used a 17 Hornet, um, zero for damage. and But they all ran a little bit, you know, 40 yards or so. So I'm trying to find, I think I've finally settled in on uh, like 204. I'm going to build a 204 for my cat hunting. For coyotes, it's whatever kills them. You know, whatever distances you're comfortable with. You know, a Good semi-automatic gun that you can... What distance are you going Typically, for what animal? For cats, you can call them in close. You know, any that thirty to sixty yards is. Oh, really? That's a lot closer than I would thought. And you're shooting a seventeen. How comfortable are you out with that for a bobcat? Hundred yards. The seventeen Hornet. Yeah, and I've killed fox down here out to three hundred with it. You know, so wouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, A lot of my sets, I'll carry a shotgun. You know, if the cat comes in brush, you know, you know, so with some TSS. You yeah. can shoot 50, 60, 70 yards and be good to go. Um, with bolt action, when I was down in Texas last, my furthest kite was almost 400 yards mm. at night with thermal. Oh, wow. But typically, you know, 50, 60 yards is, is a common. And for red fox hunting, I if I'm, especially if I'm taking somebody else, their radar gets pretty tuned up inside of 50 yards. So if you keep them 50 to 75 yards, you know, they're they're – they don't pick you out or get triggered by too much stuff and they're an easier kill. And then once you do, so let's say you get a, over a weekend, you get a, a handful of, let's say you get five or two or whatever it is. What are you, what are you doing with the fur? Are you selling them? Are you uh, tanning? Are you making things? I don't hunt red fox a whole lot on my own anymore, just from the standpoint I don't want to throw them in the ditch because they're worth absolutely nothing in the fur market now. You can't even give them away. Uh, so I really enjoy taking other people out, donating hunts, you know, having people do not call me for a hunt. Um, <laughs> um, taking people out, I donate to SEI and some other groups and everything like that. Um, the Then we will get everything tanned unless somebody wants something fully mounted, you know, then they'll go to a taxidermist to get them taken care of coyotes typically will tan them you know if they're decent fur pennsylvania doesn't have great fur texas doesn't have great fur maine your northern states have beautiful fur oh yeah they make a nice pelt how about cats cats oh i tan every single one of them yeah um i have a couple mounted i have a rug i have some full mounts for a beautiful spotted up one um i probably won't get another one mounted unless it's over 40 pounds but I tube everything out. I get all the skulls done Euro. So I have my whole display of all my cat skulls and everything like that. So very cool. Yeah. I was, uh, I was listening to a guy talk about <clears throat> just fur bear prices and they, uh, there was one that went, there was one cat that went for like 1600 bucks or something like that. And so then people all of a sudden will hear, Oh, do you hear cats are going for sixteen hundred? No, it was like that one went for sixteen hundred. I, I I heard the average price is somewhere like low hundreds. 
I would probably say if I had to guess around 300 or so yeah. would be cats definitely survived the fur market a lot better, way better than everything else than everything else for sure. Well, I thought it was fascinating. Nothing. Foxes ain't nothing. Oh yeah. What muskrats didn't you say they were like four to $7? They used to be ridiculous. You used to be able to make $7 a rat. And then I don't know if you could, I'm not sure how many you'd have to trap to cover your calls for trapping. I I'd do it just because I, I like doing it. I, something I want to show my son how to do, teach him how to do, because I think trappers are probably your best, Overall woodsmanship, that's where you learn a lot of it. Trapping and a predator hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you just, if you don't have it, you, you're not going to be successful at it. I knew it was. You got to learn where they're going to walk and where they're going to step and why. That's, if, when you, when you're good at that, you, you, I think it helps your hunting, makes a lot of other things seem a lot easier. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago where we'd take a full red fox frozen and we could get $45, $65 per red fox and you yeah. shoot five or six a night. That's not bad money, but the trappers were really out there at the same time. There's a lot of competition. Now that the fur prices are down, the trappers aren't out there. And, you know, you know, it's, it's really not that hard in a couple of nights, three nights to call in 60 red fox. Yeah, that's right. I I wasn't thinking about that in that concept where those that are trapping are probably trapping just simply for the fact that they enjoy doing it. Yeah, They're not doing it to make a living anymore. So there's there's a lot less people going to be doing it. So their, their population is going to, explode on a boom by that i didn't even I didn't, I didn't look at it from that perspective at all until just now that hit me like yeah dummy <laughs> well and calling in 60 red fox versus trying to trap 60 red foxes uh oh it's just much more fun <laughs> you could you get you go into a fox set though and set snares you can catch you can lick up foxes quick really oh you could you can you can clean out a farm if you i gotta get on the snare game that, yeah. that just sounds Trapping is much more effective than calling. Oh, yeah. Is it really? 100%. So you're Absolutely. calling in 60, but trapping can actually. Absolutely. You, you go run a fence row and run, you know, run a set of 120 snares. Really? And in all reality, on a, on a probably now with a place populated like this, if furs ever go back up to trappers are going to be in, in, in heaven for a year or two for until they, yeah, until they wipe them out. But you could run those 120 snares and realistically you could go catch 30. Wow. So you may call in 30. But you're taking literally all night to do it. You spend your hour and 20 minutes getting your snare set and leave and come back. You have 30 red and fox. You got, yeah. And it's not, not. Well, trapping is not 24 feasible. hours a day. Right. Yeah. All he's got to do is walk there. I'm, I'm calling a spot for 15 minutes. Right. So I'm there 15 minutes trying to kill one or two. And they're there with a. Forever. Once right. I said it, it's 24 seven. And they can't get picked. And he's going to be there. Get, I mean, I guess you can see the, the snare, but. Well, if you really. set it right on through fence holes, if you can find. Fence rows or shrub lines where they're running and where they cross, they 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 don't care you about hunt, snares. They you you just it's part of the fence. It's 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 I don't even know the def, the difference between how much easier it is to snare a fox or a coyote than to foot trap it here in this area. Anyways, there's no comparison. It's especially if you have a, a cattle fence. If yeah. you have a cattle fence, it's there's a hole they go through. You drop the snare. They, the snare blends in with the fence. They walk through. They're dead. <laughs> And with, with your, just talk about a snare setup real quick. What, what are you using special gloves for that too? Or does that not matter? No, I, I don't, I don't do any. You're walking out there with holding it and, and in my bag that was in the garage. I pick it up and go and I might wear leather gloves, but it's not, and it's leather gloves that I wear to throw horse hay. It's leather gloves that I wear to go shed hunting in. It ain't, there ain't no scent control, which is because I just want the gloves on. That's hand. awesome. <laughs> And then it, diameter for uh, if you're if you're going after a red fox versus a coyote, does it is it the same? You depending on the opening that you're putting it in, you don't want to make it super small in the opening where it's like right in their face. So if you can make it the size of the 
opening that they're fitting through and a fox opening, if it's just foxes, it's going to be smaller than a yote. Cat. And that way they just run right in it. Yeah, and cat, cat and fox would probably be about a nine inch, eight inch, nine inch it, opening. Yeah. And it's also very important, you know, how height wise, how high off the ground. Yeah. So once again, you know, bobcats are about nine inches. Fox will be lower. Coyotes higher. Yeah, and fox runs with his head. So the, the width of it, I mean, you want that to be the size of the opening, but then what catches, what, what gets, what I guess Where triggers the, the height. is the height. So the body will actually hit it, and then that will. Where's his chin when oh, he's walking? You perfect know, snare it, chokes him to death, and he's done. It's, yeah. I mean, it's and it's quick. And are you leaving him on the ground, or are you doing a mechanism to pull him off the ground? There's, there, there's both methods out there. Most yeah. guys just tie him off tight, and they're, they're chokers where they don't loosen up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they're they're just gonna suffocate themselves. Yeah. But it's usually off the ground for the for the height. Like if the hole's in the fence, I'm hanging from the top side of the fence and then the heights get it right where his his nose goes in and as soon as it slips over his ears, he's too late. Don't matter if he goes backwards or forward at that point, he's he's toast. Yeah. Because it's on that it's on yeah. that once it gets past his ears, he's dead. And there's no holes, there's uh Nope, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, you don't sew anything, you're and typically they're dead for... when you get to them. They, they, oh yeah, they you don't sense themselves up where they suffocated themselves and if they're not they're weak enough where you can just the only thing you'd have to worry about is freezing rain or something else eating them that that, unfortunately if you got coyotes and foxes in the same area that sometimes is a problem where you've trapped a fox he's dead and the coyotes destroy him if you want to go away for a weekend you can easily just touch it and it triggers it and then come back and reset it yeah you know versus pulling a set yeah move it out of the side leave it sit there and when you're ready to go back go back and reset it yeah, because if I leave, I have to. I have to pull foothold. You got to go pull them all. You have yeah. to pull your ground sets, or you have to have you know somebody run the drop line go. for you. Yeah, but you got to have a whole lot of faith because you know I don't want something sitting out there a day. No, I mean, you, if it's out there, you got to go check it. Yeah. No, in your area, you'd have to worry about snow. You know, you get you. What do you say? Two and a half foot of snow. That was up in the the northern part of Michigan during. Yeah. Uh, that was crazy. That was, you'd have to move the height <clears> of the snare with the amount of snow you have. Oh, It'll okay. A, yeah, if you got extra snow, it's gonna yeah impact. That's I don't know if I showed you, but yeah, yeah. Yesterday when I was leaving Michigan, we had a, uh, a full blown ice storm where, I mean, it, when I say ice storm, it was like a couple inches of, yeah. All ice. the trees have icicles hanging off every yeah. single branch all the way around. And they're already budding because it's been so warm. <laughs> so there's a, it's a, you know, a tree. I'll show you the picture after this, but it's a tree of just buds and then ice dangling all around them. All yeah. Just sickles. Now that should affect your acorn crop. I'd imagine for yeah. deer hunting. Probably. But it happens almost every year. So we still get uh they'll they'll still be a good drop. All right. Every I mean, last year we didn't have a good uh there wasn't a good acorn stand. I think the year before I don't know that if anywhere there was a good acorn stand last year. Dude. Yeah, last year there wasn't a good it one. It sucked at all. for us too. It was bad in Tennessee and where I was. It was, it was and that's why I say that because I know you had mentioned something. My other buddy lives down in southern eastern shore of Maryland, he's mentioned something. My farms here were yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure if it does because I feel like when when other states are saying there's a good acorn stand, then uh, it's pretty good up in Michigan too. Or when people are saying it's bad, it's global warming. Bad, yeah, gonna sure. kill our chances for consistent acorn falls. Dang it! They're never the same in big woods anyway. You got to find different areas that drop at different times, but usually somewhere you can find acorns. And I had it was no, I mean they were there, but just not like it was in years past. The flats where you would go kill deer and October law, they were different places. Mm. Well, I know we want to get out and uh, and go check out some fields. So to wrap it up, um, 
Mike, what do you got? Any uh, final thoughts? No, just fishing season's coming up, so looking forward to wrapping up in shed season. Go to Turkey and, and fishing and get some trips in, traveling around. Hopefully uh, get out your way and meet some new people and, and keep doing what we're doing. How does how – does, uh, question for you. How does trapping make you a better turkey hunter? Well, it gives you more turkeys when you're good at it if you're killing the right animals. There you go. <laughs> Put you in the woods more. Yeah, you just, I think being in the woods and I'm boots on the ground. I'm hyper focused, ADD. Like I, I see really? a lot of things. Can is, no. is that something new? <laughs> I got to see the mashed potatoes thing. <laughs> mashed potatoes are. <laughs> but I, I think being a, being in the woods more. The more you're in the woods, the more you observe. The more you take in, the more you realize. I mean, you put yourself in front of where I you, trapping. There's many times I'll go, I'll flush birds off of a roost. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I, I I know they're here. So now I know they're <laughs> yeah. here. And start figuring out why. You see where they're roosting. You know, you see all the droppings for where they're where they're going to be. The more time you're in the woods, so you know. All right, where they're roosting here, there's the field. That's their fly down. You know, at that point, you a couple drive bys on the road, and this is where we're setting up. This is where we're killing turkey. And you're removing uh, predators so they have a better chance yeah, after uh, mating. Even if you can't sell them, you should definitely trap raccoons. They are the. That's what you got to kill to help the coons or help the turkey population. Yeah, they climb the trees, grab the nest. They do everything. They're and to help Fish you kill turns, 190, yeah. less coons no, help you yeah. kill deer. <laughs> exactly. I think I'm going to take care, get rid of every single raccoon in that whole woodlot. <laughs> but that's a, that's another one, the story to tell when we go over the yeah. sheds. Well, I totally forgot about that one. We're going to have to come back to that on the next podcast. But uh, Luke, what do you got? Last final thoughts. You know, um, just wanted to thank you for the invite out to the, the shoot last night with for Network Outdoors. Met a great company bunch of guys a lot of other like-minded people um, got a little networking in but just it was fun to hang out and the the system of the group the, that you're putting together the opportunities that are out there you know the, the fishing trips the the bird hunting trips um, I, I think you're onto something really good here and I'm glad to be a part of it yeah well I'm very glad to have meet met you and you'd spent the time to come down hour and a half to stay with Mike and hang out for the weekend and, uh, and be part of the group. So thank you very much. And, and thank you for being on the podcast today and yeah. dropping some knowledge about uh, predator hunting. I cannot wait to have you back up into, or not back, but to come to Michigan and, uh, and see what it's all about. So I look forward to it till next time, guys signing off.